Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by co-founding pastor John Ferguson as we conclude this series, Love Where You Live. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us online, streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Hello, my name is John Ferguson, and it's uh, great to be with you today as we continue this series, Love Where You Live. I want to begin with a question. Do you have a favorite comfort food? Do you have a favorite comfort food? See, I, I think most of us probably do. And a comfort food really is any food that just tastes so good, feels so good when we eat it, that it almost puts us in a sort of comfort comatose. And of course, there are often foods that have you know, all sorts of sugar and, and loads of carbs. But I wanna know about your favorite comfort food. So if you have access to a chat, uh, go ahead and put that in the chat room, your favorite comfort food. Now, I would say my favorite comfort food has to be a turtle pecan cluster blizzard at Dairy Queen. I cannot get enough of those. I have a Dairy Queen that's like two blocks from my house. Every time I go, I get the same thing, that turtle pecan cluster blizzard. Now, if you haven't put your favorite comfort food in the chat, go ahead and do that because I wanna see if your favorite comfort food made the Huffington Post's top five comfort foods in all of America. Okay, are you ready? Okay, here we go. At number five, they have pizza. Not too surprising. Uh, if you're from Chicago, you're probably thinking Giordano's or Malnati's. I kind of like Giordano's deep dish with lots and lots of cheese. All right. And then at number four on the Huffington Post, top five comfort foods in America, we have inauthentic cheap tacos. <laughs> they can't be authentic and they can't be expensive. They have to be inauthentic and they have to be cheap as long as you load the cheese. That's number four. Number three on this list is mac and cheese. I'm beginning to see a little bit of a trend here. Are you? You've got pizza with cheese. You've got tacos with cheese. You've got mac and cheese. All right, let's take it to number two on this list of top five comfort foods in all of America, mashed potatoes. Now, we're kind of getting a little bit more healthy with mashed potatoes, aren't we? Of course, you got to douse it with all sorts of chicken gravy, right? And then maybe sprinkle a little cheese on top. That would take it maybe even to number one, huh? Are you with me? No, actually, number one is grilled cheese. Grilled cheese, of course, who would argue with that? Uh, I don't know about you, but my mom used to always call that toasted cheese instead of grilled cheese. Anybody else? I'll tell you what, in the chat room, let me know if your mom or somebody in your family ever called these toasted cheese. Help me out a little bit, okay? Anyway, it's interesting, when it comes to comfort foods, I found out there's actually research and science behind why certain foods bring us comfort. And studies have turned up evidence that we crave these foods because we actually associate them with pleasant memories from our past or maybe a person from our past that tended to bring us comfort. When I think of grilled cheese, I kind of think of my mom. Maybe that's why it's a comfort food for me, right? They are persons that we loved from our past, memories that, that just feel good, and that's why oftentimes we associate that with a comfort food. So comfort feels good, it tastes good, it sounds good, and comfort can be good. However, there's a problem with comfort. In the United States, comfort has actually become our obsession. Comfort has become our obsession. And I'm not just talking about food. After examining our culture, French sociologist Alexis de Tocqueville said this. He said, in America, minds are universally preoccupied with meeting the body's every need and attending to life's little comforts. We're preoccupied with comfort. 
A French guy said this. I mean, the same people who gave us French toast, French pastries, and all kinds of great stuff. They, they know comfort, right? But here's what's so striking to me about this quote. He said this nearly two centuries ago. We've been addicted to comfort for a very long time. I mean, this was before electricity. This was before air conditioning. This was before the internet. And don't get me wrong. I mean, comfort can be good. It can be very good, but it can also be dangerous because comfort can become the enemy of something much more important, our calling. Comfort can become the enemy of something much more important, and that is our calling. After all, Jesus didn't say, you know, take up your remote and binge watch with me. No, he said, take up your cross and follow me. And so today we wrap up our series, Love Where You Live. And, and, you know, during this series, we've been challenging each other to see the places where we live, whether it be physical or digital, in person or online, as places that we've been sent. Because just before Jesus returned to the Father, he said to his closest followers, he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And not only did he say it to his followers then, he's saying that to us now. As the Father has sent me, I am sending all of you, all of us. Jesus sends us to love the people where we live. It's how we move his mission forward. And being sent and following Jesus is about choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. It's about choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. And that's not easy because we are so attached to comfort. And again, you know, comfort can be a very good thing. Electricity is very good. Plumbing is great. Grilled cheese, they're wonderful. It's great, right? But comfort, you see, becomes a problem when we see it as a goal and not as a gift. Comfort becomes a problem when we see it as a goal and not as a gift. Now, think about it like this, okay? Um, imagine there's a destination that you believe that God is leading you to, but you know, I mean, it's a hot day. You're gonna be driving for, for quite a while, and this particular route is gonna be very curvy and take you through all sorts of challenging terrain. And you get in the car, fully intending to go where you know, God is leading, but then you get distracted. You crank up the air conditioning, and it's just blowing in your face, and the cool, coolness of that air conditioning feels, feels just great. You've got your favorite playlist on Spotify. You're booming the music loud. You've got a bag of Cheez-Its next to you in the passenger side. Cheez-Its, there we go, cheese once again. And you're feeling so good, you kind of say to yourself and decide, you know, I'm just gonna pull off to the side of the road and just enjoy all the comforts that I'm experiencing right here rather than go to that destination. Now, I know it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But you see, comfort can actually do that to us when we let it set the direction of our life or when we see it as a goal and not as a gift. And not only can, distract, can comfort distract us, it can actually hurt us. Uh, Mark Shane, a professor at the University of California, uh, describes something he calls the cozy paradox. All right, stay with me on this. He calls it the cozy paradox paradox. And he says, we've become such creatures of comfort that we lose our minds over even the slightest annoyance or inconvenience. Now, I don't know what this looks like for you, but here, here's an example of my own life. I have a cafe that's about like a half a mile from my house, and they have an app where I can order up my drink before I go. And so just the other day, I'm at home, I'm walking out the door, I order up my drink on the app, fully expecting it to be ready right when I get to the cafe, right? That's why you have an app. That's why you order in advance. I walk a half mile to the cafe, I get there, and my drink is not ready. How absurd, how could it not be ready? I'm like incensed by the fact that it's not ready. <laughs> but before you think you're not like that, okay, just think about it. 
I mean, what do you do when the internet goes in, out in your house for maybe even 30 minutes? You go nuts, right? What do you do when that person you know, in front of you uh, in traffic is, is going way too slow? You're like, pick up the pace, right? I mean, what do you do when that, that person in line in front of you at the grocery store has 16 items in their cart when clearly the sign says 15 items or less for the express aisle? Professor Shane explains. He says, despite all our many comforts, we have become increasingly oversensitive to even subtle adversity and general uneasiness. And our subsequent inability to cope feeds a wide range of maladies. Now, just let this list of maladies sink in, these bad things that can happen because of our obsession with comfort, poor work performance, overeating, insomnia, and relationship troubles. <laughs> you see, when comfort is our goal, we experience this comfort paradox. It can cause serious problems. But the greatest danger of pursuing comfort is that it can actually crush our calling. The greatest danger of pursuing comfort is that it can actually crush our calling. Author Shauna Pilgreen explains it like this. She writes, a life of comfort is called a win for the enemy. Think about that. A life of comfort is called a win for the enemy. Once we make Christ our Lord, Satan has lost one battle. His next battle is to keep us comfortable so that we fail our earthly mission. We are to live out of our calling, not our comfort. We are to live out of our calling, not our comfort. A life of comfort can keep us from our purpose. You see, following Jesus is choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. Following Jesus is about choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. I'll tell you what, say that out loud. Would, would you, wherever you might be, or if there's someone with you, say it to them. Following Jesus is choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about a woman who stepped out of her comfort to live into her calling. Her name is Esther. And uh, well, here's a video from the Bible Project that I think sets up this story really well. The book of Esther, it's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. And the main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official Haman, the cunning villain. Now, this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once, which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work, but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquets feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. 
On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now, after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now, right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible decision. Wow, there's more drama in that story than an episode of The Bachelor. Uh, but Esther finds herself in a true rags-to-riches story. I mean, she was a lowly Israelite, but now, now she's the queen of Persia, the entire empire. But this edict from her husband, the king, to destroy the people of Israel throws her story a real curve. As you might expect, as the word of the edict gets out, a whole lot of people start to panic. The Jewish people, they're weeping and wailing in the streets, and that includes Esther's uncle Mordecai, who she was close to. He's out there weeping and wailing as well with them. And now remember the king, he doesn't even know that there's a Jewish person in the palace, his wife, the queen, Esther. Esther hears the weeping and wailing in the streets, and so she sends a messenger out to Mordecai to find out what the ruckus is all about. And through this servant, Mordecai explains to Esther the situation and pleads with her to go to the king on behalf of her people. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, her husband's the king. What's the big deal? Why can't she just go to him and ask him to reverse the edict? Well, it wasn't that simple. In Persia, if anyone approached the king at that time uninvited, you could be put to death, even the wife of the king. So Esther's in a really tough spot. I mean, her people are facing extermination, and yet she couldn't approach her husband to even talk about it without risking her own life. And keep in mind, he'd already gotten rid of a previous queen. So as you can imagine, I mean, this temptation for Esther to play it safe had to be so powerful. After all, she has arrived. She's the queen of the kingdom. She's living in the lap of luxury and comfort in the palace. I mean, why give it all up? And so Esther's first response to Mordecai isn't exactly heroic. I mean, she sends a message to him that, and says that if she goes to the king on behalf of her people, she could risk her own life. But I love Mordecai's response because he's not about to let her off that easy. And he sends back a message that is the turning point, the turning point of Esther's story. We read about it in Esther chapter four. Here's what he says. He says, do not think 
that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He's given her a warning there. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And then he says this, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. In other words, Mordecai says, hey, you know, you can play it safe and you can choose your own personal comfort, but chances are if you do nothing, if you don't act, if you don't respond, you will miss the very reason for which you are queen. For who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He's saying, Esther, this is your time. This is your place. This is your moment. This is your calling. And so Esther has a decision to make. Will she play it safe in the quiet and comfort of the palace or will she courageously step forward into the calling for which she was created? But how about you? Have you ever felt like God was calling you to something and you just, you just couldn't find the courage to step into it? I don't know, maybe you're there right now. There's something that you feel like God is asking you to do, a, a way to love where you live and and yet you just haven't found the courage to step into it. Well, Esther sends Mordecai this reply. She says, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. Just quick pause. Interesting, she asks people around her to fast and pray with her so she could find the courage to do what she knows God is calling her to do. Maybe that's what you need to do with your situation. Then she says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther chooses to step out of her comfort and into her calling. The king extends her favor and an entire nation is saved. You know, I can't help but notice how Esther used her place of privilege and power to rescue those without privilege and power. And aren't we as Christ followers to do the same? You see, we all have to answer that question. Will you step out of your comfort and into your calling? Will you step out of your comfort and into your calling? You know, the first followers of Jesus, I mean, they gave up everything to follow him. I mean, think about it. Peter, Peter gave up the comfort of career to choose the calling of Jesus. He was a fisherman. He left his nets behind to follow Jesus. James and John, I mean, they gave up the comfort of home to choose the calling of Jesus. They left their father Zebedee, the, the family business. Matthew, the tax collector, he left wealth to choose the calling of Jesus. He made good money as a tax collector, left it all behind. And while we're promised comfort in our pain when we follow Jesus, following him, you see, was never meant to be comfortable. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, I've heard that verse since I was a kid, but never really understood it like I do now. You see, the cross is not only the means through which Jesus saves us, it's also a metaphor for what it means to follow him. Think about that. The cross is not only the means through which Jesus saves us, it's a metaphor for what it means to follow him. And first, Jesus says we are to what? Deny self. Yeah, we have to deny self. We are called to, to give up our own will, our own desires, to say no to self. Not easy. And then we are to what? We are to take up our cross. And this means we will accept God's will. We will follow Jesus' example of sacrifice. 
So to deny yourself and take up your cross is to say no to self and say yes to Jesus because following Jesus is about choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. And our calling to follow Jesus is in helping people find their way back to God. And that mission calls us to, to reach people who are far from God, people who are facing a Christless eternity, to restore God's dream to our, our neighborhoods, our communities, and to people who are not experiencing that dream that God has for them, and to reproduce the mission and others over and over again. You see, Esther risked her life to save a nation. Jesus gave up his life for all people. And now he asks us to follow him, to step out of our comfort and into our calling to help even more people find their way back to God. And you know, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of community because I see this happening more and more when I look around at uh, what all of you seem to be doing. For example, you know, when people seem to be looking for reasons to get out of the city, our cities are facing all sorts of challenges. McKellen, Nathan, White, and their three children just moved from Greenville, North Carolina, to the north side of Chicago, because McKell is gonna be the new community pastor at our Lincoln Square location. Why? Because following Jesus is about choosing to step out of your comfort and into your calling. When most people can't even imagine intentionally walking into or through the doors of a prison or a jail, Eric Dorsey is doing just that through our community freedom ministry to help more people find their way back to God and help them restore the dream that God has for their life. Why? Because choosing to follow Jesus is stepping out of our comfort and into our calling. I mean, when most people are looking for ways to save every penny for the next car or the next home improvement or maybe to, you know, to improve your retirement, over 1,700 people who call community their church home are now sponsoring children all over the world through compassion because following Jesus is about choosing to step out of your comfort and into your calling. And you know, before you think, okay, well, that's just for like the really religious, super pious kind of fringe people. See, the calling to follow Jesus and his mission is for every single one of us every single day. And yes, sometimes it's in the big actions that might get attention, but more often than not, I think it's in the everyday sort of mundane moments that might not ever even get noticed. I love the way one author put it. He says this, he says, uh, the really important thing is not the great moments of sacrifice but a life lived in the constant hourly awareness of the demands of God and the needs of others. So how about you? What does it look like for you to step out of your comfort and into your calling? What does it look like for you to step out of your comfort and into your calling to love where you live? You know, I know there are people in your life who are far from God, far from God, and you know it's gonna mean that you're gonna to have to step out of your comfort and into your calling to share with them how following Jesus has made a dramatic difference in your life. Maybe there's a relationship in, in your family or maybe at work or in your neighborhood and, and it's just that relationship is, is beat up. It's barely on life support and you've been putting off a very difficult conversation. Ask God for the courage to step out of your comfort and into your calling to restore that relationship. I don't know, maybe there's a need that, that has, that has come up, maybe it's in your neighborhood or in your community or, or in your, your small group, and you know you have the means to meet that need, and you've sort of let the, maybe the, the instability of our economy or your pursuit or desire for comfort keep you from stepping into your calling to meet that need. I just wanna challenge you, don't get stuck in the comfort of inaction. In the middle of all these maybes, hear one voice loud and clear, and it's the voice of Jesus who said this. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's no question, he is sending you. Jesus has sent us to love the people 
where we live. And you know, we've got some great ways we can step into that calling, really practical ways, even over the next couple of weeks. You know, next week, we've in a brand new series called Mind Matters, where we're gonna be touching on some really important issues related to mental health. What a great opportunity, a super practical, relevant during this COVID crisis. I can't encourage you enough to invite some family members, friends, coworkers to join you for those coming services. We start a whole bunch of alpha groups over the next several weeks. Include a family member or a neighbor in an alpha group. People have questions of life and faith now more than ever. It's a great opportunity for them to get answers to those questions or to even ask more questions. And then finally, our community cares ministry continues to be a great resource for people in need. It's a great way for us to live out our calling. Go to communitychristian.org slash cares. You know, I love the, the words to this next song performed by our Stuco artists. Uh, the lyrics call us to do something. Will you do something? Will you step out of your comfort and into your calling?